You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Recorded live. All right, here goes to cross-streaming. It's a little work, but I asked that you bear with me. We have one more to bring on board for This recording. conference is being recorded. Okay, there we go. Okay, we are cross-streaming. Welcome to Prayer Warriors Needed because Prayer Warriors are needed. Tonight we have a great night planned. We are looking at um, the minor prophets, which we've been studying uh, for a little while now. And um, we uh, started out uh, with a review of Hosea and um, Joel and Amos. So I'll do a quick review and of the of the important parts, and then we have a midterm exam. So again, uh, right now I'm taking these classes because this is a Bible program that I did buy, and before I... Uh, disseminate this program into the community or advertise or recruit, I need to take the classes. So I welcome you to join with me in this Bible ministry training program. And when I do have these classes out uh, to the public, I will be quite prepared for them. That is the purpose of what I'm doing. So let me open with a short prayer. We'll get right into the lesson. God, we just give you all the praise and the glory that we can come together another night. That you brought us through another week, God. You didn't have to do it, but you did. We give you all the praise. We give you the honor. We thank you, God, for you being God. We thank you, God, for what the devil meant for bad. You're using for good. We thank you, God, that we know that demons are coming down. Spiritual wickedness in high places are going to be dismantled, removed, exposed. We thank you, God, for each and every person that's praying on this earth, God, so that these Satanists do not have more power than they need to have. God, we thank you, God, for everything you've done. We thank you, God, for peace, love, compassion, prosperity that we are guaranteed. We thank you, God, that you're a provider, a healer, a doctor, God above all gods. Thank you, God, that everything happens according to your will and in your time. We thank you, God, that what may seem bleak and look not right, God, you have a purpose and a reason for it. Thank you, God, for you just being all sovereign, all merciful. We thank you, God, for the great changes that you have in store. We thank you, God, for lining up particularly targeted individuals. Heavenly Father, for the assignment you created them for and not the assignment that they created for themselves. We thank you, God, for the hedge of protection over each one of us. We thank you, God, for the hedge of protection over our loved ones, our parents, our seniors, our elders, our children, our nieces, our nephews, our bloodlines. 
decree and declare that our bloodlines will carry the word of God, will live according to his will, will live a righteous life. We thank you, God, that we're on the part of the earth that are actively fighting in spiritual warfare to bring demon forces down. We ask you, God, for special blessings, turn curses into blessing over our governance structures. We ask you, God, for special blessings over our judiciary, our legislative branch, and our executive branch, that every demon force trying to usurp authorities that they do not have will be dismantled, binded out, rebuked. Things are going to turn around. We thank you, God, for praying people, for God's people that are coming together to turn things around. We thank you, God, that every ritual that they did have the power that they have for the, the wealth and the power the greed that they've put across this earth, that that curse is going to turn into a blessing. We're going to witness transference from yeah. curses to blessing across our governance structures straight to the people, that things are going to turn around. We ask you, God, to give strength and endurance to those that may be suffering because of the electronic torture, income mm-hmm. lynching, blacklisting, whatever situation, organized stalking. Bind those demon forces up. We bind up every ritual they did to have the power to disable public protection officers, to make it appear as if it's no help on the earthly level for people to turn to that are being legally abused, electronically abused, tortured. God, we thank you that you are the help above all helps. And we ask you, God, to use each and every one of us to make that help be manifested on this earth, Heavenly Father, that we can turn things around, we can show demons that they are not in charge. As the Word says, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We know that this earth belongs to you, Most High God, that these demon forces trying to usurp authority over it, bind it up and put in their place your time. We thank you, God, that you're awakening the people, that you're turning things around, that it's God's people that can take the authority back from these demons that they have usurped from your people. We thank you, God, for the awakening. We thank you, God, that you're using your people to come together to turn this thing around. We bind up every Satanist in the executive, legislative, and judicial branch trying to use mind control technologies, trying to use all types of demon brainwashing, Heavenly Father. And we thank you, God, for the Bible knowledge that we have that we're going to further get tonight through this lesson on the minor prophets. We thank you, God, that we have the privilege to consult with uh, uh, biblical history, basic instructions before leaving earth. We can look at some of the things that happened on earth in the Old Testament times, and we can compare them to today. We know that you're the same God from yesterday, the same God today, and you brought these people out, Heavenly Father, out of horrific situations. This evil has been on this earth a long time. But the Word of God promises us restoration, turnover, turning point. God, we stand on your word that in due time things are going to turn around. God, we give you all the praise and the glory. Bless that targeted individual com- community, God. Let each one stand strong and endure and just take whatever situations put at them, Lord, as a lesson that is well learned and it's building them closer to the Most High God. Give them the coverage and protection, Heavenly Father, from that great sacrifice that was made that no demon force, no voodoo, no hoodoo, 
No satanic forces can have any impact on them. Give you honor and praise, God, for protection given us. Give you honor and praise for binding up any type of premeditated car accident, premeditated uh, falling accidents, premeditated poisoning, hormonal poisoning, cancer, disaster, whatever the demons plotting and planning, bind it up. We plead the blood of Jesus on it that it will have no effect, no impact on any of your people. We ask you, God, for special shielding for those going through the chips that have been implanted in them, those going through electronic torture. We ask you, God, to send your warrior people for the person, PI, to create the mechanism to disable chips, disable implants that have been wrongfully put in innocent people. We bind up the spirit of scientific obstruction, scientific experimentation, genetics, genocide, all types of medical experiments that are unnecessary, unworthy, cause nothing but harm. We please the blood of Jesus on it to break that curse, to break the silencing curse that comes with it in the name of Jesus. God, we give you praise and we give you glory. We thank you, God, for the great changes. Thank you, God, for using science to the advancement of civilization as opposed to the advancement of population and genocide. Find that demon up in the name of Jesus. Look forward for the restoration, the turnaround. Jesus. Okay. Amen. So we took, we're taking a look at the 12 final prophets, and um, we have a midterm tonight. We'll just go over a little review. Uh, we looked at the common titles for uh, for the books, Minor Prophets. This title came uh, uh, came about during Augustine's time. Um, they were minor prophets preaching a major message. Hebrew Bible regards these writings as one book, and the Hebrew Bible calls this one book, it calls it in the Hebrew Bible, it's called the Twelve. In the canon, the, the, the uh, excuse me, the minor prophets are the last twelve books of the old of our Old Testament. Uh, the canons refer to the twelve minor prophets. Twelve minor prophets have never been strongly challenged as being part of the inspired canon of Scripture. The messages are just as important and unique as those of the major prophets. And the difference usually uh, from the major and the minor prophets, the only difference, not that one is major and one is minor, is that the major prophet books are longer. That is the only reason they're considered major, and that all of the minor prophet books are shorter. Um, The uh, minor prophet books are Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Uh, The kings during this time were kings uh, reigning in Israel. Uh, Some of the kings of Jonah, Jeroboam, uh, second Jeroboam the second Amos, Zechariah, Shelem. See, uh, note that the Assyrians took Israel captive toward the close of Hosea and Amos ministries. Captivity was God's judgment for sin. We can see what awesome responsibility was on Hosea and Amos's shoulders. It was warning the people that judgment. Was 
people were just carrying on doing as they pleased. Okay. The minor prophets of Israel, they were prophets in Israel, prophets in Judah, and then they were considered post-exilic prophets. Those are prophets after judgment occurred. Uh, the minor prophets of Israel were Jonah, Amos, and Hosea. The minor prophets of Judah were Obadiah, Joel, Micah, Nahum, Zephaniah, and Habakkuk. Please note, major the the majority, excuse me, of pro, minor prophets were the minor prophets of Judah. So the only ones in Israel were Jonah, Amos, and Hosea. We have six in Israel: Obadiah, Joel, Micah, Nahum, Zephaniah, and Habakkuk. The post-exilic prophets were Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. They were the last writing prophets to minister to Israel in Old Testament times. They are called the post-exilic prophets because they served after the Jews had returned to Canaan from exile in Babylon. The post-exilic prophets are also called the restoration prophets. So that's Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. They're called the Restoration Prophets because they were the prophets after the exile, after the judgment had occurred. They came in when the Restoration had occurred. What a better time. They had a, uh, not a, you know, it was probably easier. More People were more willing to listen because things were being restored. Even more difficult to try to prophesy Two people and things are disastrous. You know, and disasters coming. All right, Hosea is the next minor prophet. The Christ of Hosea in Matthew two fifteen applies to Hosea eleven one. The Christ in Egypt when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Matthew quotes the second half of this verse to show that the exodus of Israel from Egypt. As a new nation was prophetic, was a prophetic type of Israel's Messiah, who was also called out of Egypt in his childhood. Both Israel and Christ left Palestine to take refuge. Christ's identification with our plight and his loving work of redemption can be seen as Hosea's redemption of Goma from the slave market. This Hosea was interesting. This shows a great story of redemption. Goma was his wife. The wife went and prayed him. Well, let me go with them. The key words in Hosea, the loyal love of God for Israel. Despite the way Israel was carrying on, God's loyalty is what inspired Hosea immensely. The themes of Hosea are in chapters 1 to 3, and they echo throughout the rest of the book. The adultery of Goma, it illustrates the sin of Israel. The degradation of Goma, Goma was Hosea's wife. It represents the judgment of Israel and Hosea's redemption of Goma. Hosea was a prophet that forgave his wife, went out there and ended up in slavery and um, he was restored through Hosea. And Hosea compares that to the love Christ had for Israel during its horrific time when people were just committing all kinds of sins. 
So Hosea pictures the restoration of Israel more than any mm-hmm. other Old Testament prophet. Hosea's personal experience experiences illustrate his prophetic message in his relationship to Goma. Hosea portrays God's faithfulness, justice, love, and forgiveness towards his people. The theme of God's holiness is developed in contrast to Israel's corruption and apostasy. About half of what Hosea utters deals specifically with idolatry. The theme of God's justice is contrasted with Israel's lack of justice. There's never been a good king in Israel, and judgment is long overdue. The theme of God's love is seen in contrast to Israel's hardness and empty ritual. God's loyal love is unconditional and ceaseless in spite of Israel's manifold sins. God tries every means to bring his people back to himself. He pleads with the people to return to him, but they will not. O Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Hosea 14.1 the key verse is Hosea 4.1. The key chapter is Hosea 4. The nation of Israel has left the knowledge of the truth and followed the idolatrous ways of their pagan neighbors. Central to the book in Hosea 4.6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being priests for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Hosea is called by God to prophecy during Israel's last hours, just as Jeremiah will prophesy years later to the crumbling kingdom of Judah. As one commentator noted, what we see in the prophecy of Hosea are the last few worlds as the kingdom of Israel goes down the drain. This book represents God's last gracious effort to plug the drain. Hosea's personal tragedy is an intense illustration of Israel's national tragedy. It is a story of one-sided love and faithfulness that represents the relationship between Israel and God. As Goma is married to Hosea, so Israel is betrothed to God. Both relationships gradually disintegrate, break up. Goma runs after other men. And Israel runs after other gods. Israel's spiritual adultery is illustrated in Goma's physical adultery. The development of the book can be traced in two parts. The adulterous wife, faithful husband, and the adulterous Israel, faithful God. Hosea 4.14 and Hosea 1.3. The adulterous wife and faithful husband. Hosea marries a woman named Gomer, who bears him three children appropriately named by God as signs to Israel, Jezreel, Ramaha, and Loami, means God scatters, not pitied and not my people. Similarly, God will judge and scatter Israel because of her sin. Gomer seeks other lovers, deserts Hosea. In spite of the depth to which her sin carries, Hosea redeems her from the slave market and restores her. The adulterous Israel and faithful God, because of his own painful experience, Hosea can feel some of the sorrow of God over the sinfulness of his people. 
His loyal love for Goma is a reflection of God's concern for Israel. However, Israel has fallen into the dregs of sin and is hardened against sixty seconds to return. These people have flagrantly violated all of God's commands. They are indicted by the holy God for their crimes. But now God wants to heal and redeem them. But in their arrogance and idolatry, they rebel. Chapters 9 and 10 of Hosea give the verdict of the case God has just presented. Israel's disobedience will lead to her dispersion. They sowed the wind and they reaped the whirlwind. Eight. Israel spurns repentance and judgment of God. Can God is holy and just. He is also loving and gracious. God must discipline, but because of his endless love, he will ultimately save and restore his wayward Ten seconds. How can I give you up, Ephraim? I will hear their, heal their backsliding. I will love freely, for my anger has turned away from Hosea 11, 18. Hosea was very interesting. Hosea was a prophet of the northern kingdom, so a prophet to Israel. Amos had the same area of work assigned to him. He was a native of Judea, though his public ministry was north. He came to Samaria, a stranger from the wilderness of Tekoa, far to the south. Um... It was different altogether with Hosea. He was a child of the evil northern land with whose inhabitants he pled on behalf of God. Only one born and brought up in the middle and by the tender response of family affection and national feeling could pity, could pity them so truly. Only such a one could yearn over them with a fond love and treat them with such a beseeching and persistent earnestness to turn to God. Throughout his prophecy, throughout his prophecy, there were constant recurring allusions to places in the territory of the ten tribes, with speech which speak of the writer's perfect familiarity with the scenery of the northern kingdom. His religion, we may say, was colored to some extent by the pleasantness and denial of his natural surroundings. Hosea was called to a work that plunged him into gloom. His lot was cast in a period when his country had to contend with many fears and fightings from without, when it was full of utter corruption within. His prophetic activity extended over a long time, and in this respect, he too, respect too, he stands in sharp contrast to Amos, whose ministry was put was but an episode in his life, it was quickly fulfilled. All his days, he seems to have preached righteousness temperance judgment to come in the hearing of men who paid little heed to the message. His work stretched over a series of years during which he saw his people sink from the level of degradation. Cantus God's word during Jeroboam's second Jeroboam, there was no governor fears to guide the affairs of the commonwealth. Then one sovereign after another, namely Zechariah, Shalom, Manaham, mounted their throne, placed placed on it like the later Roman empires by the rough soldiers of the palace and permitted to rule only. It was in the midst of this unrest that Hosea addressed his country 
while the government of the land was unsettled, it aids to age in ways of have lost all sense of cast off every training influence. There was no moral energy in their hearts, no self control in their lives. Hosea was the prophet of the decline and fall of the northern kingdom. He has been called the Jeremiah of Israel. Name fits, for he preached when his nation was tottering to its ruin. If this Jeremiah did for Judah, God raised him up to speak plain words to his fellow countrymen about their sin and to predict the heavy doom which sin must bring on the wrongdoer. Sometime in the reign of Jeroboam, Hosea married Goma, daughter of Debeah, hoped to be sure that she would prove a good and loyal wife to him. The trustfulness with which Hosea regarded his spouse justified. She showed herself unfaithful, left his roof to go after other lovers, mother of children, fidelity. Was it not the most grievous wound which yet, despite Goma's disloyalty, his love was that master feeling which the Song of Solomon calls strong as death. He acknowledged her three children for his own. Gave them names to each of which a prophetic lesson was. By and by he resolved that possible to win her back for old allegiance. After a state of utter misery, apparently sold as a slave, had to buy her for himself. Fifteen pieces for a homer of barley, half homer of barley, for bone and a half of barley. So she came to dwell once more under her husband's roof, yet not to dwell there Things could not go on as nothing happened days over her. Exercising a wise, careful jealousy of her. It was from his own history that he learned at once the disobedience of his native land and the long suffering pity of his Lord of of the Lord. So uh, the shame which had blighted his home was a representation in miniature of that shame which the seed of Jacob, whom Jehovah had espoused to him, had cruelly inflicted on him. He saw also the grief which he felt over the errors of Gomer, grief without an element of anger in it, symbolic of God's grief over his backsliding nature. He saw also that the divine heart was but his own human heart, all its feelings As Hosea passed through the troubles of his household, he saw from his experience, the type of God's experience in dealing with his people, his suffering lifted him to fellowship with God. It taught him to think as God thought, it gave him sympathetic, sympathetic God's heart, so he came out of the fires, God's prophet, out of the fires as God's prophet and spokesman. God felt foolish. God felt toward, excuse me, God felt toward foolish Israel 
the same unselfish affection which Hosea knew that he had himself followed, he felt in his wife. Whatever gentleness and pity dwelt in his breast had been kindled at God's altar. Whatever readiness to forgive he might display, God would display it far more willingly and gladly. He was fit for the task. He is supposed to have been a native of the north and was familiar with evil conditions existing in Israel. This gave special weight to his message. It would appear from the narrative that he married a wife who proved to be unfaithful. This statement is God's attitude towards Israel, the comparison is God's attitude towards Israel, Hosea's attitude towards his adulterous uh, wife. The man Hosea, the name Hosea's Hebrew means salvation. It's interesting to observe that the name Joshua and Jesus are derived from the same Hebrew root, Hosea. Hosea's father was named. Hosea was ministering at the time the Assyrian invaders conquered Israel. Hosea and Jeremiah both preached the same kind of message. Both were weeping prophets. Very during during almost like wartime. Isaiah and Micah were prophets of Judah while Hosea was prophesying to Israel. Few of Hosea's messages were directed to the southern kingdom. Hosea was one of the tenderest of the prophets in his contacts with Israel. He has been called the prophet of the broken heart. His divine commission was to plead with the people of Israel to return to God. They did not respond, and so captivity came. Although his message went unheeded, he did not fail as a prophet. He was obedient to God who called him, delivering God's message to the people. The book of Hosea. The messages of the book of Hosea delivered sometime between 754 and 714 B.C., They were probably compiled by Hosea into one book towards the end of that period. In the days of Hosea, the northern kingdom of Israel was politically plagued by anarchy, unrest, and confusion, like today. The quick succession of kings suggests such an instability. One political faction favored alliance with Egypt, another with Assyria, Economically, the nation was prosperous, so they had money. Spiritually, it was the darkest hour of Israel. Idolatry, immortality, haughty rejection of love spelled this. Israel was a backslidden people. They had preached to them. Read Second Kings 15 to 17. How black the darkness was. The theme of Hosea is this. Tender, loving God offers one last chance of restoration for hard-hearted, adulterous Israel is the unfaithful wife who has deserted her husband gone after other lovers. God, through the prophet Hosea, invites her back. Turn all Israel to the 
illustrations of the highly figurative language. There, he uses a lot of figurative language. We have the Valley of Anchor. This was uh, shown as a door of hope. Talks about that they were joined to idols, committed to idolatry. Mixed among the people, the Jews had become a people no longer separated as God told them to be, thus becoming an unholy nation. A cake not turned, he used. This expresses the thought of half-heartedness being dough on one side. It says, strangers have devoured his full association of the mixing. Other peoples had weakened the nation by uh, mixing. I do not believe it was mixing races. It was mixing of pagans with the uh, Christian people. Uh, Israel swallowed up when a nation is no longer pure because of crossbreeding with pagan or ungodly people. We can say that the national identity was Isaiah 8.8. Use another term, vessel wherein there is no pleasure. Synopsis, Israel's apostasy, it is symbolized by the experience of the prophet in his marriage. Prophetic discourses, discourses chiefly descriptions of the backsliding and idolatry of the people mingled with threatenings and exhortations, call to repentance, promises of future blessings is chapter 14 at the end. God's promises and they did. Hosea was definitely. That was the first one we did. Then we went into the book of Joel. Joel, keys to Joel. The key words, the great and Terrible day of the Lord. The key theme of Joel is the day of the Lord in retrospect and prospect. Joel uses terrible locust plagues that has recently occurred in Judah to illustrate the coming day of judgment. So Joel was a prophet in Judah. Hosea was a prophet in Israel. illustrate the coming day of judgment. They were both talking about judgment day coming. God will directly intervene in human history to vindicate his righteousness. This will be a time of unparalleled retribution upon Israel and all nations, but this time will culminate in great blessings and salvation for all who trust in the Lord. Joel 2.18 It shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Joel is written as a warning to the people of Judah of their need to turn humbly to the Lord with strong hearts so that men can bless rather than buffet, so that God can bless rather than buffet them. If they continue to spurn God's gracious call to repentance, judgment inevitable. Joel stresses the sovereign power of God over nature and, and points out how God used nature to the tension of it does. Key verses are Joel 2.11, verse 28, 29. The key chapter is Joel 2. The prophet calls for Judah's rep- repentance, promises God's repentance. 
from his planned judgment upon Judah if they indeed turn to him. Though the offer is clearly given, Judah continues to rebel against the Lord. Judgment is to follow. In that judgment, however, is God's promises of his later outpouring fulfilled initially on that day of Pentecost. Ultimately, when Christ returns for the culmination of the day of the Lord, the key thought in Joel, national repentance, blessing. The brief book of Joel develops the crucial theme of the coming day of the Lord. It's a time of awesome judgment upon... Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye. ...people and nations that have rebelled against God, but it is also a time of future blessings upon those who have trusted in Him. The theme of disaster runs throughout the book. Locusts, plagues, famine, raging fires, invading armies, celestial pronouncements of coming judgment. The basic outline of Joel is the day of the Lord in retrospect and the day of the Lord in prospect. The day of the Lord retrospect means it just begins with an account of recent locust plagues that has devastated the land. The black cloud of insects has stripped the grapevines and fruit trees and it ruined the grain harvest. The economic the, the economy has been brought to a further standstill by a drought, and the people are in a desperate situation. And the day of the Lord, that's in retrospect, and the day of the Lord in prospect. Joel makes effective use of his natural catastrophe as an illustration of a far greater judgment to come. Compared to the terrible day of the Lord, the destruction by the locusts will seem insignificant. The land will be invaded by a swarming army like locusts. They will be speedy and voracious. The desolation caused by this army will be dreadful. The day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? Even so, it is not too late for the people to avert disaster. The prophetic warning is designed to bring them to the point of repentance. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart with fasting with weeping and with mourning. But God's gracious offer falls on deaf ears. Hmm. Ultimately, the swarming, creeping, stripping, and gnawing locusts will come again in a fiercer form. But God promises that judgment will be followed by a great blessing in a material and spiritual sense. These rich promises are followed by a solemn description of the judgment of all nations in the Valley of Decision, Joel 3.14. In the end times, the nations will give an account of themselves to the God of Israel who will judge those who have rebelled against him. God alone controls the course of history, so you shall Know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain, Joel 3.17. Joel ends with the kingdom blessings upon the remnant of faithful Judah. But Judah shall abide forever in Jerusalem from generation to generation. That's Joel 3.20. Okay, so... um, Joel was the prophet who focused his message primarily on the great and terrible day of the Lord. His book of three chapters is a clear and strong presentation of the world history view 
which sees all history culminating in Christ and Israel as a prominent participant in end-time events. Joel talks about a time of judgment upon the people for their sins. He talks about the plague of locusts, the severe drought, the invasion of enemies. He calls to repentance and prayer. He talks about promises, future deliverance, and he talks about how God will, uh, how there will be a season of great refreshing. In nature, there'll be rain, which will ensure plentiful harvest. And he talks about the valley of the decision. The Gentile nations will be judged. Zion shall receive a glorious blessing. One man of God called Joel, one of the most disturbing and heart-searching books of the Old Testament, it's called. Very little was known about this prophet according to Joel 1. Jehovah is God. He was the son uh, of Pethuel. Let's see, he lived in Judah, possibly Jerusalem, during the reign of King Joash. Um, let's see, what else? His style, he had a smooth and vivid style uh, of Joel, has contributed to his book being called one of the literary gems of the Old Testament. That's Joel, one of the literary gems of the Old Testament. The purpose of Joel, the main three main purposes of Joel's prophecy was, one, to foretell coming judgments upon Judah for their sin. Two, to exhort Judah to turn their hearts to the Lord. And three, to impress upon all people that this world's history will culminate in the events of the day of the Lord when the scales of justice will finally rest. And there are various views as to when the day of the Lord will begin. Three of the more common views he discussed at the rapture when the tribulation period begins. Uh, shortly after the rapture, during the tribulation, and at the revelation, Christ returned to this earth after the tribulation when Christ defeats his foes at the battle of Armageddon. Okay, let's see. Does Joel deal with present or the events which are still in the future, which he depicts only in the language of the metaphor and imagery? Right, he's known for metaphors and imagery, right? Each belief has found its advocates to all outward seemingly. He speaks of a solemn visitation of God's providence, which lay heavily on the land of Judah in his own time. Okay, let's see. Okay, I don't want to go. I did read these chapters already. I just wanted to go through the more important points. So that was, we did Hosea, Joel, then we uh, write Amos, and then we have the midterm exam. All right, a little bit about Amos. Let's see. Uh, The clearest anticipation of Christ in Amos is found at the end of the book. Christ has all authority to judge but he will also restore his people. Amos, as a prophet, was in many respects like Christ. Let's see, in his occupation, he was a working man. In his humility, he acknowledged his lowly origin. In his method of teaching by illustrations, in his claim of divine inspiration, thus saith the Lord, 
that occurs 40 times in his prophecy, in being charged with treason, hmm, Amos 7.10, in the pressure of duty which was upon him, Amos 3.8, in denouncing the selfishness of the rich. The keys to Amos, the key words, the judgment of Israel. The basic theme of Amos is the coming judgment of Israel because of the holiness of Yahweh, Yahweh, and the sinfulness of his covenant people. Amos unflinchingly and relentlessly visualizes the causes and course of Israel's quickly approaching doom. God is gracious and patient, but his justice and righteousness will not allow sin to go unpunished indefinitely. And T.I.s need to remember that carefully. God will not allow sin to go unpunished indefinitely. So someone asked me today. Yeah, go ahead, Jeff. No, I just said amen. Yeah, remember you asked me today, you was like, Mary, do you think this program will ever end? I was like, oh, yeah, no, it will, because we're reliving history. God will not allow sin to go unpunished indefinitely. The sins of Israel are heaped as high as heaven. Empty ritualism, oppression of the poor, idolatry, deceit, self-righteousness, arrogance, greed, materialism, and callousness. Doesn't that sound like today? It sure does. (laughs) The people have repeatedly broken every aspect of their covenant relationship with God. Nevertheless, God's mercy and love are evident in his offer of deliverance if the people will only turn back to him. God graciously sends Amos as a reformer to warn the people of Israel of their fate if they refuse to repent. But they reject his pleas, and the course of judgment cannot be altered. The key verses, Amos 3, verses 1-2... Amos 8, verse 11, 12. The key chapters, Amos 9, set in the midst of the harsh judgments of Amos. Amos are some of the greatest prophecies of restoration of Israel anywhere in Scripture. Within the scope of the just five verses, the future of Israel becomes clear as the Abrahamic, Davidic, and Palestinian covenants are focused on their climatic fulfillment in the return of the Messiah. Amos' message of the coming doom of the northern kingdom of Israel seems preposterous to the people. Not surprisingly, Amos' earnest and forceful message against Israel's sins and abuses is poorly received. The prophet of Israel's Indian summer presents a painfully clear message. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. The four divisions of Amos are the eight prophecies, the three sermons, the five visions, and the five promises. Amos is called by God and given the inevitable task of leaving his homeland in Judah to preach a harsh message of judgment to Israel. Each of his eight oracles in chapter 1 and 2 begins with the statement for three transgressions and for four. The fourth transgression is equivalent to the last straw. The iniquity of each in eight countries prophesied is two is full. Amos begins with the nations that surround Israel as his catalog of catastrophes gradually spirals in on Israel herself. Seven times God declares, I will send a fire. 
symbol of judgment. The three sermons. In these three chapters, Amos delivers three sermons, each beginning with the phrase, Hear this word. The first sermons are a general pronouncement of judgment because of Israel's iniquities. The second sermon exposes the crimes of the people. Mm and describes the ways God has chastened them in order to draw them back to himself. Five times he says, Ye, yet you have not returned to me. The third sermon lists the sins of the house of Israel and calls the people to repent, but they are hate but they hate integrity, justice and compassion. That's today. And their refusal to turn to God will lead to their exile. Although they arrogantly wallow in luxury, their time of prosperity will suddenly come to an end. Amen. The five visions. Amos' three sermons are followed by five visions of coming judgment upon the northern kingdom. The first two judgments of locusts and fire do not come to pass because of Amos' intercession. The third vision of the plumb line is followed by the only narrative section in the book. Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, wants Amos to go back to Judah. The fourth vision pictures Israel as a basket of rotten fruit overripe for judgment. And the fifth vision is a relentless portrayal of Israel's unavoidable judgment. The five promises in uh, Amos 9.11... Amos has hammered upon the theme of divine retribution with oracles, sermons, and visions. Nevertheless, he ends his book on a note of consolation, not condemnation. God promises to reinstate the Davidic, the Davidic line to renew the land and to restore the people. Amos uh, prepares... Prepare to meet God. Amos was God's prophet to prosperous Israel. You know, it was extra hard, especially if Israel was prosperous. They was probably like, shut up. We don't want to hear it. We got this money. We enjoying life. Tell him to shut up. Uh, Amos was God's prophet. You know, I just know how sick people are. It's, it's almost worse when they're prosperous, at least um, when I think mm-hmm. was it Hosea, when when he was prophesied, if they're doing bad, you know, they may listen. But when they're doing good, ah. Uh. Amos was God's prophet to prosperous Israel, steeped in religious religiosity, immortality, and complacency. Amos was one of the most colorful personalities among the prophets. He was humble and rugged, the son of the wilderness like Elijah and John the Baptist. The character of the religion practiced at the shrines of Israel must not be misapprehended. It was far from the pure worship of Jehovah, but just as certainly it was not rank and utter idolatry like the service of Baal. It was the adoration of the true Lord under visible forms and in- images. So they were, they were, they thought they were worshiping God, but they were using images. Doubtless, many genuine lovers of Jehovah bent the knee before the golden image at Bethel. Even as in corrupt churches of our own day, there may be much simple and earnest piety. And it was not otherwise in the ancient kingdom of Israel. In spite of the false worship, many of them were probably children and servants of him, who is not like 
silver or gold or stone. The fact that God still spoke with them through his prophets is proof in itself that God had not cast them off, even with the mixed worship. But they sinned grievously when they tried to make an outward likeness of the Lord, who is above thought and sense. Thus he told them by the mouth of Amos that the altar of Bethel was an abomination to him. This initial sin was speedily followed by other offenses, for when once the worship of God is corrupted, it is hard to keep contamination out of any department in human life. A little leaven will soon permeate the whole lump. Luxuriousness and effeminacy with the sensual lusts, which generally go along with them, were very common in Samaria. Amos describes them as lying on beds of ivory and stretched on couches, chanting to the sound of the vial and inventing to themselves instruments of music, filling themselves with wine and anointing themselves with precious ointments. Many of these proud Israelites were sunk in the grossest impurity as the clear-sighted shepherd from the desert quickly discovered. There was much social oppression, much greed of gain, much injustice done, the destitute and helpless. Mm. The nobles turned judgment into wormwood. The judges sold the righteous to obtain money and the poor for a pair of sandals. The princes put the day of calamity far off and brought down the seed of violence near. These were the influences which were working to bring down the state. It certain that Amos was fearless, but it is sure that his courage was tested to put into execution God's command and to repair to Bethel. Amos' tragic words rang soon through all the wayward northern country. Jeroboam, like the ruler of a later day, trembled for a little, for he listened to the preacher of righteousness and temperance and judgment to come. Amos made one relentless enemy in Israel, Amaziah, the priest of Bethel. He began to fear for the reputation and gains of his sanctuary. He was determined to silence the daring speaker. Get thee hence, O seer, he said, flee to the land of Judah, and there earn thy bread and prophecy there. Judging Amos by himself, he regarded him as a man whose prophesying was a financial speculation and he had made a bold stroke for notoriety. The Judean visitor returned him a prompt and pitiless answer. I am no prophet, he declared, not a prophet's son, but a simple herdsman, whom Jehovah took of his goodwill from following the flocks and went to the sinful place to cry against it a heavy and bitter woe. Tradition says Amaziah, angry at so dauntless a witness-bearer, sought to put Amos to death and that Amos, though wounded by an attendant of the priest, crossed the border into Judah only to yield up his spirit to God. This is highly unlikely, for when he had reached home, he set himself to write the story of his mission and the record of the words he had spoken while he was away. Okay, the man Amos. The name Amos means burden-bearer. No reference is made in the book to any relatives including Amos's father. The fact that his father's not named may suggest a very humble birth. There's no reference to Amos in any other Bible book. 
Amos was a native of Tekahol, a small village some six miles south of Bethlehem. His ministry as a prophet, God called Amos to be a prophet while he was tending his flock. David's commission came as he tended his sheep. Gideon was called from a threshing floor. Amos's ministry was mainly to the northern kingdom of Israel, even though he also preached to Judah and surrounding foreign nations. The message God wanted him to deliver to Israel was strong and severe, so God chose for his messenger a man who had withstood the rigors of a disciplined life and who knew what hardness was. In the howling wilderness around Tekola, life was full of poverty and danger. It was an empty and silent world. Amos knew God, and he knew the scriptures, even though he was not trained in the school of the prophets. Living in Tekoa was ideal preparation for his task and was just as much of God as was his call. His prophetic ministry lasted about 10 years, 765 B.C. to 755 B.C. Holy Ghost Selection of Men. No better illustration of the perfect freeness with which the Holy Ghost selected the men who spoke in the old time could be desired that which is furnished by the contrast between Joel and Amos. No more than a 50-year span separated them, and they may have met face to face. Both men of God, they were commissioned to prophecy to the same people in the same land, yet they were entirely different in temperament and personal surroundings. Joel was tender and pitiful, while Amos was rigorous and severe. Joel's words were those of a cultured citizen. Amos sprang from the poor of the people, and his language was simple and stronger and more keen and cutting, coming from the heart of a man who had himself borne the yoke in his youth. Yet the Holy Spirit shone through both men, alike, and spoke with the lips of both. All right, let's get to, all right, summary. Amos' preaching was so sharp and vigorous that he was accused of sedition by Amaziah, the adulterous high priest of Bethel. Like most prophets, Amos underscored these key truths. The people's sin, the coming judgment, the righteousness and holiness of God, and the mercy of God in offering deliverance. Synopsis of Amos, impending judgments on surrounding nations, threatening discourses, the call to Israel to seek God in sincerity, uh, the visions interrupted by an attempt to intimidate the prophet, the prediction of the dispersion and restoration of Israel. Okay. Right, so those, now it's the midterm here, and um, those were the minor prophets we've covered, and that was just a quick overview. And um, let's take a look at the uh, midterm here. All right, let's send five. And after this, and that was Amos. All right, right. After this, we will do Obadiah. Not tonight. But um, that's our next one. So the midterm, let's see. And I'm I'm taking this midterm, so we'll, uh, it's good to be familiar. All right. The Assyrians took Israel captive at the start of Hosea's ministry. At the start? Mm, true or false? 
The Assyrians took Israel captive at the start of I think that's false. I think they took it at the end. Ooh, correct. False is correct. Okay. Joel calls. Let me see. Anyone in? Hey, talks you. If you want to put any answers in, I'll check back and forth. Okay. Um, are you going to participate? Um, you want to join in, Jeff? Oh, I'm just going to listen. I'm not really prepared for it. I haven't done any studying prior to this. I can understand. Okay, no problem. Joel calls to penitence and prayer and promises future deliverance. That's easy. Joel calls to repent and prayer and promises future deliverance. True or false? That's true. Okay. Joe lived in the northern kingdom, possibly Jerusalem, during the reign of King Joash. Joe lived in the northern kingdom, possibly Jerusalem, during the reign of King Joash. Um, that sounds, ooh, I put true. That is false. Okay, so that's false. The day of the Lord was a time of judgment upon the people for their sins, which included a plague of locusts and the invasion of enemies. The day of the Lord. Um, yeah, that is true. That That is what they said. The day of the Lord was a time of judgment and because of those iniquities, right? Judgment upon the people for their sins, which included a plague of locusts and the invasion of enemies. Okay. The basic theme of Amos is the coming judgment of Israel because of the holiness of Yahweh and the sinfulness of his covenant people. The basic theme of Amos, that was the theme of all the minor prophets, the coming judgment of Israel, well, some of Judah, uh, because of the holiness of Yahweh and the sinfulness of his people. I'm going to put true. True is correct. Okay. The Hebrew Bible has a total of only 24 books. Now, it said the Hebrew Bible calls the Minor Prophets one book, and it's called the 12. So the Hebrew Bible has a total of only 20. Uh, because the, the Minor Prophets is called the 12, I'm going to put true. Okay, true is correct. The Hebrew Bible has a total of only 24 books. Okay. Right. Instead of um, having the minor prophets separate in the Hebrew Bible, no, they have one chapter called the 12, and that, that refers to the 12 minor prophets. Okay. This is why it's critically important that I take this class before I even try to disseminate, advertise, recruit, because I need to know, you know, I need to know my Bible, too. <laughs> and I, I'm just, so many ministers call up, and they're like, oh, let me get, where'd you buy that program? I'm like, how about taking a class? And I enjoy learning, so this is fun. Okay, central to the book in Hosea is my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. True or false? That is true. Joas's reign was always a righteous one. Joas reign was no, I can't say that. I'm gonna go with false. I don't think. Oh, false is correct. Great. Right. None of those. None of those. Uh, 
uh, alleged governors and uh, priests in those times. Every, every, it was out of order. Okay. Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, was a good friend of Amos. Uh, I don't remember that, so I'll put true. No, that's false. He was not a good friend of Amos. So that is false. Amos wrote this book towards the end of Jeroboam's reign around 760 B.C. I can't remember that type of stuff. Amos wrote this book toward the end of Jeroboam's reign around 760 B.C. Amos wrote the book towards the end of Jeroboam's reign. Um, I think, yeah, I did read that. All right, I'll go with true. Okay, all right, it's true. All right, Joel is not a disturbing and heart-searching book. Joel is not a disturbing and heart-searching book. And I'm going to say false. Let's see. False is correct. Good. The four divisions of Amos concern eight prophecies, three sermons, five visions, and five promises. The four divisions of Amos concern eight prophecies, three Amos, Amos. Which one was Amos? Eight prophecies, three sermons. I'll put true. True is correct. Good. Amos's main audience was Israel, which politically and economically was at the low ebb of power. I think they had money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's false. Okay, that is false. Joel portrays Christ as the one who will judge the nations in the valley of Jehoshaphat. Joel portrays Christ as the one who will judge the nations in the valley of Jehoshaphat. I'm just going to put true because it's true. Good. I put true because Joel portrays Christ as the one who will judge the nations. The only one who can judge the nations is Christ. All right, the sovereigns who ruled during Hosea's ministry included Jeroboam II, Zechariah, and Shalom. That is true. I remember that. Okay, true. Amos opened his writings with the same awful declaration which Joel closed his. I think I'm going to have to go with true. That is true. Good. The only view was to when the day of the Lord will begin is shortly after the rapture during the tribulation. The only view as to when the day of the Lord will begin is shortly after the rapture. No, there were several views, so I'm going to put false. False is correct. Right, there were several different times that was stated the day of the Lord will begin. All right. Uh, Joel was one of the earliest writing prophets. Joel, no. Uh, Hosea was before Joel. And um, I'll put false. Let's see. Ooh, wrong. That is true. 
Joe was one of the earliest writing prophets. Joe was one of the earliest writing prophets. Oh, I should have got that. Yeah, Joe was the second one. Yeah, that is definitely... I shouldn't have missed that. Joe was one of the earliest writing prophets. That should have been true. Okay. Amos was not like Christ. False. They gave many comparisons. They both were regular working men, uh, came from humble beginnings, had a lot of humility. So that's false. Amos was not like Christ. That's false. During Joas's reign... Judah was not free from the threat of invasion by foreigners. No, that that they were always, that is true. They were always under the threat of invasion by foreigners. That was part of the judgment that the minor prophets were telling them would they would, you know, lose their land by being in sin. The key theme of Joel is the day of the Lord in retrospect only. No, it was in retrospect and prospect. So that is false. Amos's ministry was mainly to Judah and the surrounding foreign nations. Amos's, now we went over that, let me see. We went over um, their territories. Amos's ministry... Uh, we have the prophets of Israel, Jonah, Amos, and Hosea. So now Amos was in Israel. Let's read that question again. Amos's ministry was mainly to Judah and the Saran. That is false because Amos' ministry was in Israel. False is correct. Good. Joel, Joel deals only with events which are still in the future. No, that's false. Joel deals with the events at the time and in the future, so that is false. Hosea is called by God to prophesy during Judah's last hours. Hosea is called by God to prophesy yeah, during Judah's no, during Judah's last hours, Hosea was, uh, wasn't he in Israel? Um, yeah, Hosea was in Israel. Uh, his ministry was in Israel. So that has to, Hosea is called by God to prophesy during Judah's last hours. I'd have to say false. False is correct because Hosea was ministry was in Israel. Okay. Hosea is supposed to have been a native of the South. But true on that. Oh, that's false. He was a native of the North. Okay. We hold an adequate theory of prophecy if we think of it as dealing solely or principally with the future. We hold an adequate theory of prophecy if we think of it as dealing solely or principally with the future. Now, prophecy does not have to deal with just the future. It can deal 
with good false is correct with the current uh times. All right, the three troubles Joel described deal, dealt with locusts, wine, and offerings. The three troubles Joel described dealt with, I know they talked about locusts, yeah, over drinking with the wine. I'll go with true. See? Okay, that is. The three troubles Joel described dealt with locust wine and offering that is true. Oh, I hope I didn't uh conference call this says. Let's see, is this this one conference contact? Anne, are you still there? Anne? Oh, okay, wonderful, wonderful. Are you okay? Okay, Dom. Job prophesied nearly 900 years before the advent of Christ. I'll say true. Right. One of the metaphors of Amos dealt with a shepherd recovering two legs or the peace of an heir from a lion. That is true. I remember doing that. In the days of Hosea, the northern kingdom of Israel was not politically plagued. That's false. It was politically plagued. Amos's message of the, it is false. Amos's message of the coming doom of the northern kingdom of Israel seemed true to the people. No, they didn't believe him. These were hard-headed folks. God alone controls the course of history. Mm. God alone controls the course of history. That is without a doubt true. Joel is written as a warning to the people of Assyria of their need to turn humbly to the Lord with strong hearts. That is true. Ooh, false. Let me get rid of that. Wait a minute. Joel is written as a warning to the people. Oh, maybe it's not the people of Assyria. Of their need to turn. It was the people... Joel is written to the people of either Judah or Israel. Let me see. Joel is written. Joel is uh, to the the people of Judah. Okay, that was a trick question. All right. There. All right. Joel is written as a warning to the people of. Not Assyria. This says Assyria. They need to turn humbly to the Lord, and um, that is false because we need to change Assyria to Judah. Joel is written as a warning to the people of Judah, not Assyria. The the key thought of Joel is national repentance and its blessings. Oh, Ti, see that that God, you know, has us here. We're reliving the Bible. National. It's not just TI's repenting. We gotta to work towards national repentance and its blessing. That Amen. is the the key thought of Joel, you know. And um yeah. 
Okay. As Hosea passed through the troubles of his household, he saw from his experience no type of God's experience. As Hosea passed through the troubles of his household, he saw from his experiences no type of God's experience in dealing with his people. That is false. Hosea used his experience in his household, which was his adulterous wife, who went out there and made three kids from multiple men, and then she ended up a slave, and he went and bought her out of slavery, and he forgave her. He used that experience to show what a merciful God is. Well, no, no. He used that experience helped him understand what a merciful God uh, is to the people of uh, Israel. Um, you know, it gave him more compassion. He gave him better understanding. You know how God despite the iniquity that was going on and they were doing idolatry and worshiping idols, and God was still like, he still loved the people and withheld judgment to a certain extent, you know, and he still allowed repentance. And he used that love that he saw God had for the people um, of Israel despite the iniquities, he used that example to continue to love his wife. That was a big man. Uh, oh, Hosea, yeah. Wasn't he, though, Jeff? Huge. Can you imagine? No. He went out there and, <laughs> went and made three babies from different men, ended up as a slave, and he went and bought his wife out of slavery and bought her home. And then had to worry about her, you know, temptation and jealousy, it said. I said, wow. But he said, you know, he learned, you know, that love he had for us, the love that God had for Israel, that despite all of their wrongdoing, God loved the people so much that, you know, he was still giving them chances to repent and save them from judgment and he still he gave them restoration, right? He compared when he got his wife out of slavery, it's the same love God had when he gets, you know, when he restores people. So if there's a message to anyone, to targeted individuals in particular, God is a God of restoration. Amen. And serving God, and you will be restored. You know, we are reliving the history. These stories you read about, you know, it's like the more prosperous these these nations were, the more idolatry, the more they just was going wild. And it's it's like today, you know. Very much. And um, they're just doing everything they want. And, um, you know, God has to bring a wake-up call, and the whole TI program could be a wake-up call. So take the wake-up call, stand on God's word, stand on, you know, everything we know, God's promises, and know that he's a God of restoration, and you make these learning lessons so God decides to turn things around. In the meantime, in between time, you have a rightful duty to line up to the assignment 
that God put on your life and how he's using this program. He could use this program just to make you very clear on what role you need to be on this earth. You don't, T.I., you don't have an option. You're on the righteous side. You're going to do something to help better this uh, mankind, humanity. You're going to do something bigger than just live. So God bless you. And um, that was our midterm exam on our minor prophets. And I just say encourage all people to stand on God's promises and um, stand on history, historical examples. God did it. For Israel, he did it for Judah, he did it for other countries, he could do it for the USA. These demons will not be in charge forever. Amen. So with that, Jeff, could you close us in prayer? Sure. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you never leave us, never going to forsake us, no matter what, even though we may remove us from your we may, we may run from you, we may hide from your grace and your love, Father God. You'll never leave us. You'll never run from us. And we thank you that you, through your cross, Father God, through what you accomplished on your cross, you have total victory over every single work of darkness that, that has ever existed since the day that you died on that cross for us. And that the devil is permanently, completely, utterly, thoroughly, and 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 defeated in every possible way and sense. And we thank you for the victory. I thank you, Father God, for Miriam and for her faithfulness and for your word and that we still have, you know, at least we still have freedom enough in this country to have Bible studies and to get together and gather around your word, Father God. And your word has not been outlawed yet, Father God. We thank you for that. Because there is no greater power than your word. There is no greater blessing them to have a renewed mind that's just washed in your word every single day and in your presence and in prayer. And we thank you and I just pray for every targeted individual in this world right now, Father God, that you would just, if any positive thing can be brought out through this program, Lord, that you would use this to make people see the reality of evil in this world and that that would draw them to you, Father God, like it did to me, like it drew me back to you, Father God. When I saw just how clearly this entire life was a massive spiritual battle, spiritual warfare. And Lord, that we just, I ask you would just use this, this horrible demonic program to bring about good and to actually bring people to you, Father God, almost yeah. like an evangelical yeah. tool. Definitely. And I, and I thank you, and I thank you that you always hear our prayers, Father God, and that, and that you're more eager to bless us and to free us than we are even to be blessed and be free. We thank you for the for discipline and for obedience so that we can walk righteously in your name. And because we're walking righteously, we're able to, to walk freely as Christians. And we thank you, Father. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Beautiful prayer. And you want to oh. pray? Okay. Anne, would you like to pray a little before we close? Yes, I would. Thank you, Miriam. Uh, Father God in heaven, I I do uh, uh, 
ask for your blessings and your continual guidance, Father. As angels are here this evening, Father, we are praising you and thanking you for each and every day of our lives, Father, as we go on into this uh, Targeted Victims Program, Father. Uh, we ask for your mercy. We ask for your guidance and your protection of your wings of glory, Father. We ask for your continual protection, particularly for those who are suffering most badly, Father. Please continue to protect us and guide us and protect our families and friends and, and associates, Father. So let them know that they are loved by you and your continual guidance faith that we have in you, Father. We will follow you, Father, all the days of our lives and all the days after that, Father. You have really blessed our soul, and we continue to, to fight this fight and, and do what we must do in, in, in terms of our each one of our assignments. Father God in heaven, please continue to guide us and let us know what is the right way for us to proceed with uh, uh, these issues, Father, as we put our lives uh, on the line. And as I know you are aware of that, how, how we suffer each and every day and what we give up, Father. You are the keeper of, um, of all judgments and all the things that we do, Father. And we continue to ask for your blessings and your guidance, Father. In Jesus' name I pray forever and ever. Amen. 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 Oh, thank you so much, Anne. You're welcome. That was beautiful, yeah. And um, I'm just going to, yeah, close out. You know, we have a week coming ahead of us. So, God, we, we just put this week in, in, in your hand, mm-hmm. not just this week, this year. And we just ask you, God, to, to give each and every person the needs that they may need, God, to just yes. keep pushing forward and not give up. You know, it gets very uh, dark sometimes. It looks a little grim, but we know, God, that you're the God of miracles. You're the God of the impossible. And we ask you, God, to give each and every person the strength to let the devil know he's a liar. And, and we bind up that spirit of um, of uh, victimization, hopelessness. This program has a tendency to try to invoke a spirit of hopelessness. Yes. We bind that demon spirit up in the name of Jesus. Jesus God. We thank you, God, for being the God of the impossible the God above all gods, the God of miracles, Heavenly Father. Even if the doctors are telling people that they're going to die tomorrow, we bind that demon spirit up and let everyone know that the doctor is not the God of this nation, that we serve a mighty God, we serve a most powerful God, and he is a God that can turn things around. And we ask you, God, for those who need a miracle, God, for you to turn things around. And for those, God, who may have... uh, been discouraged and left you, God, we ask you to send them back. Only the Holy Spirit can turn them back in here. We need them back being prayer warriors. We need their prayers. We need their faith. We bind up that spirit of atheism. We bind up that spirit of of just hate and evil and, and just the spirit of ungodliness. We bind up all rebellious spirits in the name of Jesus. We ask you, God, to just bring people in closer to you and let us stay on the righteous part of this earth, God, as we see things that are going to turn around in your time. We decree it and declare it in the name of Jesus, and I plead the blood of Jesus, Heavenly Father, on each and every listener, participant, downloader. We thank you, God, for each and every person that we can serve to encourage one another 
And I thank you, God, for the ability to be able to uh, share the word of God and, and ministry training, just lessons. I thank you, God, for just the curriculum and the knowledge as we all choose to uh, quench our thirst uh, to get a better understanding. We thank you, God, that we can look at history and, and learn and see how evil's been on this earth a long time and that, God, you've always proven that the only power over evil is the power of the Most High God, the power of love. And I thank you, God, that despite this horrific program being evil, whatnot, each and every one of us have that spirit of love in our heart, and we will continue to disseminate that spirit. God, we give you praise. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Miriam. Thank you, guys. You know... You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.